0: to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, oh, you already know you're in the right place because you always are. The buzz today, the time has come. Let me just let that sink in. Think about it. Anybody remember Lewis Carroll's The Walrus and the Carpenter, that charming and very interesting poem he wrote from Through the Looking Glass of what Alice found there back in 1872? I know you weren't around then, but I bet you've heard it. The time has come. The Walrus said. What is she talking about? Let's get started. Almost every company on the planet is already transforming the way they do business. If they're not, heads up come out from under that rock. You need to. Why? Well, let us count the ways. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Number one, digital transformation. It's happening. Get with the program. Get on the bandwagon. Stop hiding under that rock. Number two, resource scarcity. Sad to say. It is true. It is here. Deal with it. Find a way. Number three, there's a demand for individualized products. People want make for me. Now do it. I want it. Don't make me wait. Then we have the sharing economy. You know Uber doesn't own cars. Airbnb doesn't own Rental properties, but they are thriving. Look at their capitalization. And number five, the pressure for customer centricity. You've got to focus on the customer. Are they always right? Maybe not, but you have to act like they are. What's the bottom line to those of you listening to us all around the world here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio? Well, it's time for you to rethink every business process and take advantage of the latest digital technologies to, well, you got to do it. you got to squeeze those dollars. Budgets are tight. Make every penny count. You've got to squeeze on time. you got to get rid of those inefficiencies. Boost the quality. Low quality will not cut it anymore. And you need to get more out of every part of the value chain. Are you on board yet? Do you even know what I'm talking about? We have a panel of three experts. They all happen to be from SAP today. I'll tell you who they they are in just a second. But if you're not on board stay with us for the next 53 and a half minutes and we will help you figure out what you need to do. Joining me today on the panel will be Kevin Warmerdam, head of S4 HANA and IoT Go to Market in SAP's North America Center of Excellence. With him on the panel is the sponsor of this great series, Rick Imber, National VP for the Extended Supply Chain Center of Excellence at SAP and rounding out the panel is our good friend Richard Howells, who drives market direction and positioning of SAP supply chain management solutions. Now If you're thinking, wow, they're going to start selling me something, no. You know Game Changers is thought leadership. We're just talking about the topic. These three gentlemen are smart. They're in this space. They know what they're talking about. You will learn a lot, I promise. So let's get started. Kevin Warmerdam has sent me a wonderful opening quote from Yoda in Star Wars. Yoda, as you may or may not know, is a fictional character in the Star Wars space opera franchise created by George Lucas. And Yoda first appeared in the 1980 film The Empire Strikes Back. I'll leave it at that point. Here's the quote. Do or do not. There is no Try, Kevin Warmerdam, I think this is a mantra for life. How are you, Kevin? Oh,
2: fantastic Bonnie. How are you this
1: morning? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. I love the quote from Yoda because, Kevin, it transcends our topic, even though we have a very important business topic. I think this is the way people should live their lives, do or do not. There is no try. Is this something you subscribe to, not to get personal, but talk to me? Does this mean something to you in your life in no, general? No, absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a doer. There's a lot of people that like to talk about things. I like to do things. And I think that especially now in the age of the low-cost technology we have, there's so much opportunity for us to go out there and do so much more with our business process, to collect so much more data than we had in the past, and to really get going and start doing and stop thinking about how we're going to Uh, digitize our business process.
1: So tell me something. I said several times in my opening, Kevin, businesses may be hiding under a rock. Is there any business you're aware of anywhere in the world, whether you've you've touched their space by talking to them or dealing with them on social media or, or in any of your pursuits? Do you think anybody is not aware of this? Is that a possibility?
2: Absolutely. And I think that's the part that is the most interesting. When you really look at, um, and so so this is what I did for for my career for a long period, I would go and do basically ride-alongs and observe people's business. And, And the most fascinating part is, first, how much data is not being collected, how little information is really being processed, and how people are making business decisions based on partial data, assumed data, or completely inaccurate data. And there's really no reason for it anymore. We have technology that can go collect the information we need. You can... Uh, Put sensors on just about anything. Everybody has a mobile device that you could start interacting with. There's so much available to us today that we're not consuming and not utilizing. It's, It's incredible.
1: Thank you very much. Good insight. And, Kevin, we're very pleased to have you on the panel, and thanks again for the great quote. You know, when people, even in in personal communications, Kevin, I think you hear this all the time, I'll try to make that potato salad. I'll try to get the car fixed today. I'll try to get the kitchen cleaned up before the kids come home from school. I'll try to finish that paper by tomorrow afternoon. Do you want to just scream at them and say, Yoda said? Do you ever want to do that, Kevin?
2: Absolutely you got to you got to set a goal you got to just go do it right i am going to do this it's not hey we're investigating we're thinking about it
1: what are you actually going to do just go do it There you go. Thank you. I'm with you. I knew I liked you. Let's bring on the person who sponsors this series, Rick Ember. It's been way too long since he's been on the show. Rick has sent me a wonderful quote from Jack Welch. Those of you wondering who Jack is, oh, you must have been hiding somewhere. His original full name, and he's still alive, born in 1935, is John Francis, nicknamed Jack Welch Jr. He's a retired American business executive author and chemical engineer, best known as the chairman and CEO of General Electric between 1981 and 2001. And you may like to know two factoids about Jack Welch. Number one, during his tenure at GE, the company's value rose 4,000%. Wow, could we use that in the stock market right now? I will not touch that one and in 2006 which was 10 years ago jack welch's net worth was estimated at 720 million dollars and when he retired from ge he received the largest severance payment ever in corporate history of 417 million dollars now here's the quote if you don't have a competitive advantage don't compete rick imber what a great quote how have you been rick
3: i've been doing good bonnie how about yourself
1: I'm well. I'm very much enjoying your series. You've got some great people coming on here. We have to do a shout out to Shane Ellis, who manages putting together a lot of these topics and panels. So hello to Shane, wherever you are. I hope you're listening today. Uh, Rick, are you a big fan of Jack Welch? And, and how does this quote relate to our topic? We're talking about digital transformation, supply chain, getting it right, all of the key drivers in the market today. Talk to me.
3: Yeah, well first I got a comment, you know, I I'm happy to quote Jack Welch, but I'm a little jealous. I kind of wish I had a Yoda reference. Uh, nice job on that one, Kevin. Um, you know, this this quote seems pretty obvious. If you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. And, you know, most people think of their product as a competitive advantage, and maybe it's the price point of their product or features and functions of their product or the quality of their product. And, you know, it's been beaten to death, but a shining example of that would be Apple, the, you know, the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, the iMacs, these things came out and some would argue, you know, wonderful features, wonderful quality. I'm not sure the price point was ever a differentiator. In fact, it was uh, usually pretty expensive because they did get to market, uh, some could argue, first in many of these areas with amazing user experience, amazing quality, whatever the case may be. Those are typical competitive advantages people think of. But as it relates to the series, I'm glad you asked that question, mm-hmm. I think people need to turn their extended supply chain into their competitive advantage. You know, shrinking dollars and waste and cost out of your extended supply chain absolutely can be your competitive advantage. Get a better product to market to market much quicker and for a lower price. That's what happens when you squeeze dollars out of your extended supply chain. So that's why I chose this quote today.
1: I appreciate that. Rick, you brought up some really interesting points about whether you don't have that competitive advantage. Do you think uh, in reference, let me get off topic here a little bit, in reference to so many entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, newcomers, to any space in the world, do you think that they think just the fact that it's their new idea that that makes them competitive? What do you think? Do you think there's a a, a miscalculation with a lot of new businesses or old businesses that think, well, we'll add beige instead of yellow? What's your thought?
3: Actually, I think it trends in the opposite direction. Yes, I'm sure that's out there, but I couldn't help but think of all these startups now with these you know, crowdsourcing, you know, people come up with these amazing ideas. They go to crowdsourcing and they bring it to market. And the one I was thinking of is the coolest. This new cooler that came out, you can see it all over the place, where they put a blender and speakers and Bluetooth and a charging station. That is definitely a differentiator when you think of coolers. And all it took was this guy coming up with an idea and going to crowdsourcing. So, you know, the, with social media and crowdsourcing and low cost of... Um, outsource manufacturing and all sorts people can just have an idea and run with it nowadays so yes i think it's still out there but also um, we're seeing some unique stuff out there right now
1: i have never heard of the cooler thank you for that the coolest cooler it's on amazon coolest cooler and now it comes rick be still now i'm i don't know if i'm going to break your heart with this it comes in classic orange does that mean something to you
3: <laughs> I no, but i thought you were going to say beige it comes in beige <laughs>
1: Well, I was just talking about beige instead of yellow, and here, apparently, classic orange means something important to the market, or they wouldn't put it in capital letters. I don't know. Thank you for the discussion, Rick. Pleasure. Rick, you have to come on your series more often. You're so smart. Yes, I am flattering you, and that's perfectly acceptable. So let's turn to our third panelist. We have Richard Howells, uh, who drives SAP Supply Chain Management Solutions, and Richard has sent us a wonderful quote from another, uh, shall we say, captain of industry, Andrew Grove, At Intel. Andrew Stephen Andy Grove, there's another nickname that stuck, uh, lived from 1936 to 2016. He just passed away March 21st, just a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple months ago. He was a Hungarian-born American businessman, engineer, author and science pioneer in the semiconductor industry. Interesting that Andy Grove escaped from communist-controlled Hungary at the age of 20 and came to the U.S. to finish his corporation. He went on to bigger and better things, obviously, one of the founders and CEO of Intel Corporation, helping to, tran- there's our big word, transform the company into the world's largest manufacturer of semiconductors. And uh, I think Rick just mentioned Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, when he was considering returning to be Apple CEO, called Andy Grove, who was someone Steve Jobs idolized and asked Andy Grove for his personal advice. If that doesn't say anything about Andy Grove, I don't know what does. Here's the quote Rick Richard Howells has selected. What's my return on investment on e-commerce? Are you crazy? This is Columbus in the New World. What was his ROI? Love the quote. Richard Howells, how have you been? I am fine, thank you. Nice to speak to you again. Wonderful. Talk to me. So, uh, interesting quote. Are you a big fan of An- Andy Grove? He certainly left his mark on the world. I'm, I think
4: I'm more a big fan of Columbus because uh, <laughs> he discovered America, which is where I live now. And as you can uh, tell, I'm he- not from America
1: yeah we're hearing the accent we're not going to get into politics and we won't use the x in any of our words today so go go ahead richard talk to me talk to me about this quote fascinating
4: i I picked the quote because um some of some of the things are now they're not differentiators. they're they're table stakes the whole concept of digitization um and digital transformation is a must you're not it's not just a return on, on ROI. It's it's survival. If you if you can't keep up with your competition, uh, you're lost. Okay, so and
1: tell me something. That's some. really
4: why I picked that quote because I, I love I, the I just quote. See it as okay,
1: go ahead. Talk to me more.
4: <laughs> no, I just see it as a as the new norm. Digitization is the new norm, and everyone's got to do it.
1: Absolutely. And and Richard, I have to give you credit. You sent me three other quotes. I'm going to pick one more and uh, let's talk a little bit more here. Uh, I love this quote from Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. You certainly have a good selection of quotes. You say, in today's era of volatility, Jeff Bezos says, there was no other way but to reinvent. The only sustainable advantage you can have over others is agility. That's it. Tell me about that. Is that one of your favorite mantras for business today? Because I think that's what we're talking about
4: absolutely i mean that's that's what we're seeing with every business they're seeing things like uh, technologies such as three d printers the internet of things, and digitization in general as as ways of reimagining their business so they're looking at new ways of of bringing products to market they're looking at new new products to bring to markets and also new services that, that, that can differentiate, differentiate themselves from the competition so I think I was on this this one bef- uh, before, and I also had a quote: "The only constant is change itself." Mm-hmm. And, and I think that summarizes th- 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 that previous uh, previous statement from the Amazon founder. It really is being responsive to change.
1: Yep can't ignore it. It's there everywhere. Change is one of those things we're going to have to live with, and we certainly are every day. Thank you, Richard, and thanks for sending so many quotes. Very appreciative. Let's circle back to Kevin Warmerdam. Kevin, I warned you you'd be first in all the segments, and here you are again, and this is our little icebreaker called What's in Your Cup Today? We'd love to know where you're calling from, Kevin. What time of the day is it? And if you're drinking something interesting, tell us what it is. If not, what are you planning to drink later that will be more interesting? Kevin.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. I am calling from sunny San Diego. It is seven seventeen a.m. and uh, ran out to my local Starbucks this morning and picked up a mango milk tea.
1: Mango milk tea. What does it taste like? Is it sweet? Is it tart? What's the flavor?
2: It is. It's sweet. There's actually a whole hidden menu going on at Starbucks. If you haven't seen it in the Twitter sphere. Uh, They have a, it's called a Purple Rain, and they have a a pink drink. I I haven't had the pink one yet, but there's this whole sort of iced teas with different flavors coming out, and they're all very visually beautiful.
1: Wow. Starbucks Purple Rain menu. Rick knows I love to look things up. Here it is. Starbucks Purple Rain Refresher, their secret menu. Wow. Kevin, does this mean the secret is out?
2: (laughs) The secret is out. Secret, secret is out last day
1: of here's the promo the last day of summer is fast approaching but you can enjoy these fruity tropical looking drinks any day of the year the purple rain refresher combines the refreshing taste of raspberry and lemonade but you're looking for more fruit flavor check out our tropical elixir or fruit punch refresher Ooh, gotta go get one thank you very much for the uh, the warning there appreciate that yes we've got to celebrate summer rick ember where are you what time is it and what's in your cup today
3: well, I am also in San Diego. It's now seven nineteen, And let's see, you know, <laughs> I have not caught on to this whole Starbucks craze. Now, when I have a Starbucks, I thoroughly enjoy it, so no disrespect at all. But, you know, a Starbucks opened up, I don't know, a quarter mile from my house six months ago, and I still haven't gone there. I'm just not drawn to it. I'm a pretty basic coffee guy, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's, you can buy it at Costco a big old bag. But the reason I don't care too much about the coffee I use is because I put so much darn creamer in there. And uh, maybe I'm more about the creamer. And I'm running a Coffee Mate caramel macchiato creamer. And i got to confess, I put kind of a lot in there and it's advisable (laughs) not to look at the calorie count uh, if you're counting your calories because you can get into several hundred just on creamer with your coffee in the morning depending on how how much coffee you drink but I want to add one more thing I think it's more interesting what's on my cup not in my cup but on my cup I have a coffee mug that somebody gave me that I adore first of all it's gigantic I adore that but uh, written on the outside of the coffee cup it says use kind words don't whine Keep your promises, do your best, say your prayers, please and thank you, work hard, smile, always tell the truth, help others, love one another, try new things, be happy, and finally, laugh out loud.
1: I love it. I love, that must be a darn big mug. It's huge. It's huge. How tiny is the right? It is this. Is this a quote from one person or a collection?
3: It doesn't. Add the source. It's just a whole bunch of uh, things we should try and do in our lives, too.
1: I love it. And you know what I'm thinking? There's only one thing missing from that, Rick. Forgive me. There's only one thing. Kevin Warmerdam knows what it is. It's Yoda's quote Do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> <laughs> I think that belongs there. Rick, that's very interesting. I think I'm going to have to send you a Game Changers mug. Would you like one to go with w- your collection?
3: I would. Is it big?
1: It's pretty big. Yeah, it's got the Game Changers logo. It even has my name in tiny print on it, so you know it's the real deal, okay? Excellent. (laughs) I'm going to send you one. Okay, thank you very much. Richard Howells, what are you drinking? Uh, Don't tell me it's tea. I bet you're drinking something more interesting than that, although I do enjoy tea. Richard, where are you calling from? What time is it? Uh, Don't tell me it's California and it's 721. Go ahead.
4: No, I'm jealously calling from not-so-sunny Boston Ah. uh, in Massachusetts. It's, and it's 10.21. Yes. And uh, I, as you can probably tell, I'm not from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm, I'm from, I, I like to tell people I have the original Boston accent. I'm from <laughs> Wales in the UK. Yes. Um, and I'm not drinking it at the moment, but the national drink of, of Wales is actually beer. So I should you're be kidding. drinking it because Wales have just qualified for the semi-final of the European Championships in soccer or football, depending on where you're listening from. And uh, it's the first time. So I, sh- I should be toasting them with a glass of a uh, of vellin boil, which is the, the uh, uh, national Welsh beer. Uh, and if you if you if you read it in English, it uh, it actually looks like feeling foul, which is, a, I guess, a, a warning sign of not to drink too much <laughs> beer at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs>
1: Very, very interesting. I, I I, think there are two famous Welsh people besides you come to mind. Uh, who was married right. to Elizabeth Taylor? Richard Burton, Richard Burton. and Richard And Burton. Tom Jones. They're both Welsh, right? I'm Anthony Hopkins. I'm Catherine zeta the- Jones. There's lots of famous Welsh people. Oh, my but goodness gracious. Sport. Well, I didn't know that beer was their big drink. Well, now we know. Thank you for the education, Richard, and thank you for joining us. And I'm in New York, so I'm sharing the same Interesting, semi icky, not sure what it's going to do. Will it rain? Will the sky clear up? It's a little gray, but not too overcast weather because Long Island, North Shore, here I am. But as Rick Imber knows and Richard may remember, they only let me have uncaffeinated beverages on radio show days. This is a double header, so I'm again drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with no writing on it, Rick. I have to make up my own sayings. That's why I talk to all of you about your favorite quotes. And I have a green straw, and the green straw represents not yellow for hoping for the sunshine, but green because we're talking about digital transformation across the extended supply chain. This is part two. We actually did this topic, part one, when we opened, launched your series a couple months ago, Mr. Ember. But the reason for the green straw is because prosperity, profitability, yeah, you get it. That's what the green is for. So I think it's time to give my guests a break and let them have a little sip of something refreshing. We're going to come back, and Kevin Warmerdam will start the roundtable with me. We have a lot more to talk about. The topic today, again, is digital transformation across the extended supply chain. This is a topic that needs a lot of conversation, and that's why we're here. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back.
0: Rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your extended supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future. Our experts discuss how the extended supply supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide. The extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at SAP.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers.
1: Indeed, here we are, and the future is right now. Every time I end a sentence with a period, a comma, a semicolon, the future is what happens in that breath right after we end the sentence. That's what I figured out is the best way to say what the future is. So it's here. It's already here. We're talking today with Kevin Warmerdam, head of S4 HANA and IoT Go to Market in SAP's North America Center of Excellence, Rick Imber, National Vice President for the Extended Supply Chain Center of Excellence at SAP, and Richard Howells, who drives market direction and positioning of SAP Supply Chain Management Solutions. We're talking about digital transformation. There's a lot of work to be done by so many businesses around the world, regardless of your industry, your footprint, your maturity, whatever your position is in your marketplace. You need to think seriously about digital transformation, and that's why we're here. So let's kick off our roundtable with Kevin Warmer-Dam on our panel today. Kevin sent me the following information, very interesting change of direction from what we've been talking about. I'm going to have Kevin talk for about two minutes, and then we will invite Rick Imber and Richard Howells to chime in with their POV. So Kevin says, according to a recently released Pew Research Center report, 79% of millennials say there's a major difference in the point of view of younger and older people today. But let me add, it is in their use of technology that millennials see the greatest difference, starting perhaps with the fact that 83% of them sleep with their, oh, I could just leave that one hanging, cell phones. Okay, so let's talk about how this impacts our conversation about digital transformation. Kevin, please tell us more.
2: Yeah, no, I think one of the most interesting things when you look at how technology is being adopted, um, the IT organization itself is not the, the bleeding edge. It's typically far, far behind consumer technology. Um, and anytime I think, across any line of business inside your organization, the younger generation expects the experience of their phone. They expect the availability of data that you get from Google search. And inside the corporate four walls, information is far less available, and the questions create giant work streams to go get answers, and it takes weeks and months to come back to. And so I think it's just interesting when we say, you know, you're talking about competitive advantage in your supply chain, you're talking about, um, you know, that digital transformation will be table stakes, and yet I see this generational gap between the, the individuals that often have the power to drive those changes, and the expectations of the younger generations coming up. And so I think that as we, you know, progress in, in the next generations, as these younger millennials who, who grew up with technology so readily available get in more and more into power, you to see faster and faster adoption. I think that there are still some barriers to adoption through some generational gaps.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Rick Ember, what do you think? How does this impact digital transformation? What's valuable for our audience to know?
3: Well, you know, I came across a horrible realization. I was at a convention recently, and, and uh, SAP likes to work a lot with uh, the millennials. We have a lot of uh, um, college programs and this and that, and we did something with shy Tech here recently. And as these millennials got up there, they I started re- Realizing, oh my gosh, am I the aging workforce? I I don't really know what the definition of the aging workforce, but I had this horrible moment about a week ago where I'm like, oh my gosh, I think it's me. I think I'm the aging workforce. But um, I I agree with what Kevin said that uh, the millennials expect everything. You know, if you look at uh, their life with their iPads and their Ubers and their being able to get pricing within seconds, whether in a store and social media for sentiment analysis. They have everything at their fingertips, and then they step into the business world, and they're looking at a green screen going, what the heck is this? Um, You know, you can't underestimate the the power of the, the negative power of what that has on a millennial, that they will choose not to work at your company if that's the user experience. That you know, if you sit there and go, "Hey, fill out this paper form for a purchase requisition," go walk it down to your manager's office and put it on his little in tray or inbox, whatever, and it should be processed in five to seven days. They're going to look at like you like a dog watching TV. And so, it's important if you want to attract and retain these millennials um, that you have the business processes in place, that your extended supply chain, that everything is modernized and digital, and you're embracing these new technologies. Um, and we're also seeing a huge impact as we, you know, start to, everybody's talking about the Internet of Things, and we're seeing jobs be eliminated because of this, uh, because, you know, sensors and robots and all these things can now perform the tasks that people used to do. Well, yes, jobs are being eliminated, but we're also seeing the creation of new jobs. Uh, you'll see Forbes magazine on 620 just published an article saying that data scientist is the best job to pursue in 2016. That's you know with all this data coming in, um, that that is the way to go. And I'll add one more thing, one more thing. Um, mm-hmm. The millennial, I, I just this topic keeps coming up. I was at this convention. I talked to five different press people, uh, all separately, just one-on-one meetings with five different people from the press. All five ask me about millennials. So it's it's a pretty hot topic right now.
1: Very much. And, and Rick, I want to turn that around a little bit. I think you were pref- prefacing this. Uh, Richard, I'll bring you in on this just a second, but I have a question for Rick. Uh, I think you were putting this in the context of what companies need to get and attract and retain the best talent in the millennials. And no, Rick Ember, you are not the older workforce at all. I am. <laughs> Get out of my space. Anyway, uh, three of the things I mentioned in the beginning of the show about what's happening today in business, demand for individualized products, the sharing economy, and pressure for customer centricity. Just quickly, so we don't put Richard off too long here, aren't millennials driving this as well as consumers?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, being able to get out there and configure and get these individualized products. I mean, heck, nowadays with the, you know, Nike Plus and the, um, the, uh, the um, Under Armour, I mean, every company out there is now a technology company. Even apparel companies are technology com- companies, and you can get customized sneakers. I mean, I, I'm talking about a lot of consumer products here. But, yes, mm-hmm. it's all individualized because they can get online, and, and they not only can get it, they expect it now. And, yes, it's being driven by millennials.
1: There you go. We've got to make room for them. I think they're here. We, we can't stop the flow. Richard Howells, love to get your point of view on millennials on either side as the part of the producers, as part of the companies that need them, and as consumers as well. What's your thought?
4: Well, I, I think I, I am the perfect person to answer this because I have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So I may be oh. one of the aging population, but I, I think, I, <laughs> well, I sometimes can't work out how millennials think or generation as these guys may be, but my sons have never bought a CD, but they have a mobile phone full of, of songs. They've never bought a book, but they have tablets with with their with their college um, books on. It's oh, it's a mobile first experience. It's it's what they expect, and they don't want to. So, from the consumer side, everything's being digitalized. But from a from a producer side, as you mentioned, they don't want to. Um, Leave the 21st century on their mobile devices when they go to work and go back into the 20th century and, and get, as, as Rick said, green screens and, and, uh, and uh, in a non digital experience, they expect the same when, when they move into the work environment and they shouldn't expect anything less.
1: Wow. So uh, what's your thought What's your thought on the, the flip side of hiring millennials? Do you think that they are more and more, is it true, are they demanding that mobile-first experience as a worker, as a part of the workforce? Are, is there any uh, wiggle room in there, Richard, or do you think the tide has turned and companies need to think in terms of digital transformation, not just for their processes, their supply chain, but for how they everything they do?
4: I think they need to do that not just for the millennials, but for for, for everybody in the workforce. But, but, but the other thing that that millennials are thinking about when they look at companies is, is sustainability. As well, they're not just looking for technology, but they also want to work for a sustainable company. They, there are there are lots of reports that show that that people that, that millennials moving into new businesses will will pick a, a, one that's socially responsible, one that's doing the right thing for the environment, which is a great thing to see, actually. But that's another thing that, that, uh, that companies have to be considering, both from a business perspective and from a, a hiring perspective moving forward, when they look at hiring millennials.
1: Thank you very much, Richard Howells. Kevin Warmerdam, you started this very interesting part of our conversation. I'm going to let you wrap it up. Anything you'd like to add before we move on?
2: Yeah, I think I think Rick has some interesting points that, that you know, there are some companies that are doing a lot of segment of one adoption. I think that the employee retention is not the issue I hope to to address. I think the, the issue I wanted to bring up was really around how many companies aren't there yet and and inside the IT four walls, how much, um, how much more we can do. Going back to the Yoda quote, we, we have to look at the IT organization. We have to look at our lines of business differently because so much technology is available, and we're not embracing it as vast as i think the the leading examples are and that's why we're seeing so much volatility in the fortune 500 that's why we're seeing so much volatility in the markets i think that the technology is there that we can do a lot more with and it really comes down to understanding what's available and going out and just doing it
1: thank you very much kevin Rick Ember, I'm looking at your notes. I think we're going to go in a slightly different direction here. Some very interesting statistics you sent me. Just let me pick this topic for you, Rick. You say business networks are drastically changing how products are brought to market. Fifty percent of networked companies are more likely than peers who are not networked to have higher sales and profit margins and to be market leaders, and this is a statistic from McKinsey. Why don't you expand this for us, Rick? This sounds very interesting.
3: Yeah, so... I always start with a definition of a business network, and it's simply being able to electronically or digitally connect with a network of suppliers. And if you're a manufacturer and you need a new pump, being able to go out and say, "Hey, I need a new pump, help me out here," and being able to look at a network of people who make pumps, and analyze cost, quality, delivery time, service, all that stuff, and being able to choose that pump and have it delivered to your company. Um, That is a business network, a a supplier business network. Well, the thing is, we've got business networks for just about everything nowadays, and companies need to jump on this and start to leverage these networks, whether you talk about a purchasing network for indirect or direct goods, uh, travel networks, uh, services networks, um, you know outsource manufacturing heck we even have asset networks that connect people who manufacture the assets with their customers who are using those assets and being able to send information back and forth between the manufacturer and the customer, the manufacturer and all of their customers, um, the customer and all their different manufacturers because a customers you know a, a plants going to have many many manufacturers of equipment being able to leverage an asset network. This is amazing stuff. It allows you to get a competitive pricing, competitive services, um, really be able, and also it allows you to focus on your core competency. Before business networks existed, you know, a a company had to do everything themselves. Now they can sit there and go, you know what, I don't want to manufacture this stuff anymore. I'm just going to outsource all of my manufacturing, or you know what? I don't want to keep that labor skill set in house. It's it's kind of a specialty. It's really tough keeping all my people skilled. I'm just going to outsource a particular you know area of my contingent labor or uh, compliance. You know, hazardous material compliance, Rojas compliance, We compliance, conflict minerals. Being able to leverage a business network to manage those processes. There is so much available out there. The technology is. There to leverage these business networks, and when you do, you reduce your costs. You can focus on your core competency. You absolutely reduce your costs. You um, squeeze costs out of your extended supply chain. In fact, in many cases, these things that you're leveraging through a business network, the quality might be better than you could have done yourself, and that's how you get well, that's that stat. You get higher uh, sales and better profit margins. You're lowering your costs and increasing your sales.
1: Rick, do you think there is any justification for a company not wanting to be part of a business network, not climbing on board that bandwagon? It sounds like there's no other way to go. There's no choice today.
3: I can't imagine. Nobody's ever asked me that. I'd have to think really hard about some sort of (laughs) use case where somebody just says, no, I I have no need for this anywhere in my business. Um, And none come to mind, Bonnie
1: okay, thank you. I'm glad I asked a tough question. No man is an island. no business is alone. There we go. Richard Howells. I know you have great experience with this what's your thought on business networks and digital transformation context
4: i think uh, I think what Rick was really highlighting is that companies, when they have the ability to collaborate within these networks, can focus on their core competencies so um there's lots of examples, but if you look at the mobile phone manufacturers, most of them do not do any manufacturing. But they are very, very good at positioning and ma- messaging and marketing their solutions uh, to get market share. So they're leveraging the core competencies of marketing from their perspective and outsource manufacturing from other perspectives. I think when you, when you t- tie some of these themes together, though, and uh, talk about business networks and individualized products, which we just touched on a little earlier, I think how people how companies design their networks will become critical. Uh, you may have you may be outsourcing both manufacturing of these products but but customizing them locally to meet the individualized needs of the consumer so I think um, I think it's not one size fits all I think uh, you have, the whole digitization concept will will in a, will drive companies and enable companies to redefine their business processes um, to optimize. Uh, for customer centricity, for individualised products, etc. But Thank networks are not—they're not, not yep. the way to go. They're, they're already here. They're already as, here. As, okay. as, Rick, as Rick mentioned, it's not just networks of people; it's networks of assets, it's networks of machines, it's networks of equipment, all sharing and collaborating with each other.
1: Richard, we were talking a few minutes ago. I was mentioning entrepreneurs and startups. We talked a little bit about companies that start out by crowdsourcing their ideas, looking for that new competitive something that je ne sais quoi that nobody has ever seen or done or a a new flavor or a new color, if you will. Uh, Any thoughts about uh, what a business network enable a new company from the get-go rather than, we are an island, we will do it all ourselves, we are unto ourselves, that philosophy of becoming part of an established business network or creating their own, is this something that a startup needs to do from day one?
4: I think it's, a, it's the quickest way for a startup to, to ramp up because um, startup companies, as again, they, they should really focus on their core competencies. I mean, the crowdsourcing concept is is a great example where, where it's it's a front end, but then you may be leveraging manufacturing in a completely different region to to satisfy that demand, because startup companies just can't scale, and they have to rely on a network of partners. To they may be able to get those first few products out the door, but if if the crowdsourcing really takes off, and the example that that Rick gave about the um, the cooler and by the way, my brother-in-law was was one of the first to sign up for that, and he's very happy with that that product. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's you just you just can't keep up with demand unless you can scale, and and networks are ways of scaling in, in many cases as well.
1: Thank you, Richard. That was a very quotable, tweetable moment, and I just tweeted it, and you can find it, by the way, if anybody, oh, to our listeners, not, if anybody's listening, yeah, hashtag SAP radio, uh, business network is the quickest way for a startup to ramp up. I think there's a little poetry in this man's soul. Kevin Warmerdam, we got to get you in on the conversation. Business networks, what's your observation, your thought?
2: Yeah, I think I think you can't have that conversation without really looking at the movement of the cloud. And... And it goes back to Rick's point about, about competitive advantage and, and managing your core competency. As we see more and more lines of business solution moving to the cloud, you know, that's, that's something you do when you've sort of given up on making that a competitive advantage. If you're, if you're looking at moving your HR process to a cloud solution, you're not differentiating. You're, you're saying, for the most part, I'm going to allow the industry standard to be the way I run my business. And you get incredible economies of scale with that. You you have uh, reduced uh, holding costs. You can move it from OpEx to CapEx. And when you start looking at your supply chain, I think that some companies are moving portions of their business into the cloud looking at the business network. I think that there's still a large debate of where we'll be in the future in terms of managing your supply chain and and how much of that goes in the cloud, how much of that stays internal to your four walls and becomes a true competitive differentiator for you. Um, I, I think this is one of the great debates that we'll see shake out over the next 10, 15 years, um, and the movement to the cloud will have, you know, some some limitations.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Rick Ember, going to give you a moment here to wrap up this topic. I want to move to some very interesting statistics that Richard Howell has Howells has sent me. So, Rick, any thoughts on closing this uh, conversation on business networks?
3: Oh, I I you know the the comment Kevin just made about the cloud really struck me and and, you know, I, I would say companies need to make sure they're investigating uh, some sort of platform to manage this because not everything will be in the cloud, not everything will be on-prem, and having a, a like a cloud platform that will help you manage the interaction between the two will be essential as we all try and figure out this movement to the cloud. And I'm not just talking about for your little core siloed uh, you know, HR process or sales process I'm talking about for your end-to-end enterprise. Some stuff will be in the cloud. Some stuff will be on-prem, and you need solutions that will help manage the information as it flows back and forth.
1: Thank you very much, Rick. Okay, good way to close that topic. Mr. Howells, I'm looking at your notes here. You sent me some wonderful statistics. We're going to talk about digitizations. There were so many surveys about what this means. And let's go back to our conversation earlier about the increase in demand for individualized products. Let me read from your notes. Say All the surveys I have seen about digitizations, plural. The increase in demand for individualized products is always at or near the top. Let me read one statistic, and I'll have you share the others with us. You found in Consumer Product Trends Navigating 2020, Deloitte University Press, June 2015, just a year ago, quote, 42% of consumers are interested in technology to customize and personalize products. Let me read one more. Uh, This is from SCM World, The Future of Supply Chain, Kevin O'Mara. 71% of supply chain executives see digital supply chains as disruptive and important for strategy. Richard Howells, why don't you pick one of those and let's expand it a little bit.
4: Okay, so um, I I think that the bottom line from all of the statistics that I shared and all of the reports that we're seeing at the moment around digitization, and we've already highlighted this in, in this session as well, is, is the, individual, the concept of individualized, individualized products. Mm-hmm. So, with, so, so consumers today, regardless of age, but especially younger consumers, are not only looking for improved customer service, but they're looking for a customized experience as well. As, as in, I want something unique to me. And I not only want something unique to me, but I don't want to wait six weeks for it. So you can't have the same old manufacturing processes to say, yes, I, I want to customize this car, but you've got to wait three months to get the car. You've got to have the, the processes or the designs in place to be able to make those customizations from a manufacturing perspective and deliver to that customer in, in a relatively short or acceptable uh, time period. Uh, a great example, that I, I can't remember if we talked about it last time, but uh, Harley Davidson have an, a, a motorbike factory in York, Pennsylvania, and they have completely uh, revolutionized the way that they make bikes and, and turned it on its head, basically, so that they can individualize bikes now in a six-hour period, where when you used to order, order a customized bike, it used to take 21 days. Mm-hmm. And that's a complete... That's both, both changing their business model, but changing their manufacturing processes and supply chain processes to enable that, because they have to have a, an, and I think one of the quotes we talked about before, an agile environment, to be able to respond to those changes, to, to make sure that every bike that comes off that production line is unique to the customer order that, that ordered it. So I, I, th- I think it really is changing the way that business Business is going or has gone.
1: Thank you, Richard. And we were talking, uh, Rick was alluding to, and I think you said the same thing, uh, are you part of the older workforce? I think I, I said I'm taking that claim to fame so the two of you can relax. You've got a ways to go. But uh, the question is, is this solely driven by millennial consumers? Is this something that is uh, uh, percolating if you will, across the entire consumer chain value meaning the ones with the dollars on their credit cards or in their in their cash so is this coming from across are the, are the older consumers saying yeah, I don't want to wait two weeks anymore, I want it now, time's running well, out, everyone, what do you every, think?
4: I think everyone. it's everyone, I mean Harley Davidson is a great example but it is everyone, the target buyer of a Harley Davidson is not a millennial it's the it's. Probably the three gentlemen on this call. <laughs> <It's
1: the laughs> what about the lady on this call?
4: I, 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 yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, discriminate. I, but it, it's, 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 uh, it's the middle-aged people are probably the target <laughs> buyers of customised Harley davidson So it, that proves the point that it's not just the
2: millennials. The other thing, oh, I mean, I think <laughs> the. I'm to sorry. Kevin, yeah, I just wanted to add. I think that the, the idea of we have this segment of one is is fascinating, but it is there are macroeconomic factors that are clearly impacting that, and there are certain industries where that takes <laughs> off. You know, we're, we're not all driving black Model T Fords. There's there's economies of scale that come from mass production, and there's you know the efficiencies that come from 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 other manufacturing. The segment of one, we have to really look at. Um, business agility, which going back to Richard's point earlier, you have to be flexible enough to be able to serve that market in, in those you know gluttonous times in the economy and as recessions come or things scale back, you have to be able to adapt your business to serve a lower cost market and have more efficiency in your production. And I think business agility is the key issue more than any you know complete mass uh, adoption of a segment of one. It's the business agility to be able to do that when you need to and to Pull
1: back, pull back and back and need to Thank you Kevin and I have to Richard I have to tell you while you were talking a moment ago and Kevin I did hear everything you say I looked up the uh, the demographics of Harley Davidson riders and I have the statistic for you Mr. Howell's in Wisconsin the average age of a motorcycle license holder is 51 huh. Go. And there, there's an interview with a man named Jim Hep, H-E-P-P-E, who bought his first motorcycle 50 years ago as a teenager. He's now 65, and he has throttled back, I like that term, from riding 800 miles in one day to now taking an occasional trip closer to home. This bodes well for companies like Harley-Davidson, which want to keep folks like Hep in the saddle and buying new bikes as long as possible. So there, and there's more information here about... Uh, Yes, more than 58% of the 518,000 motorcycle license holders in Wisconsin are 50 or older. But nationwide, 39% of motorcycle owners are 51 to 69. Very, very interesting. I won't go into any more, but I think I'm going to post that on Twitter. Uh, I, I think, you know what, we are almost, we are actually right now officially Kevin Warmerdam, We are in the crystal ball predictions round of the show and I'm going to save exactly one minute for each of you to look ahead into the future, pick any part of the topic. We're talking about digital transformation, business networks, all kinds of disruption. We're talking about millennials in the workplace as consumers, expecting everything to be the experience of for one and for right now, this minute I want it. Where is it? Don't make me wait. So Kevin Warmerdam, what do you think will change? At what point in the future? I love the year 2020. It's up to you. 60 seconds. Share are your predictions, Kevin? Go.
2: I think we're going to see a lot more uh, legal battles over data ownership. We're going to see a lot more collection of data. And as you look at the supply chain and the number of components that go into a, a finished product, everybody who's producing a component is going to have information about how that's being used. And you can look at the automotive industry from shocks to fuel tanks, the tires, everybody wants the information how it's being used, and there's going to be sort of a, a battleground over data ownership and privacy laws that will resurface.
1: Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, I appreciate that. Rick Ember, I think I can give you a minute and, and 20 seconds. How's that? Kevin was very generous.
3: Oh, well, thank you. So, you know, in the beginning, I, I talked about how I thought you could use, um, turn your extent supply chain into your competitive advantage. I think here in the future, you know, I I know it's a drum everybody's been beating, but the internet of things It's it's all going to be about that, and yes, we're seeing a ton more individualized and smart products, and these smart products are talking to each other. And we need to figure out how to design these smart products. You know, fifty billion devices, whatever it is. You know, my home right now, I've got Amazon Echo, and I've got Philips Hue, and I've got Siri talking to all these things. It's great, but our extended supply chains are also going to get a lot smarter and a lot more connected through IoT technologies, and I think we're just scratching the surface right now, whether you're talking about drones for deliveries or autonomous vehicles or digital inventory with 3D printing or automated pick-pack ship procedures or augmented or virtual reality for service or even predictive capabilities, we have only just begun. And in my book, it's all about that here in the near and even perhaps a little bit more distant future.
1: Thank you very much. That was a good long list. I appreciated that. Richard Howells, I have a whole minute and a half for you as well. We're a little bit ahead of the clock here. I'm trying to come up with a bonus question for all of you. Richard, what do you see and how far in the future would you like to predict for us today?
4: Okay. Um, I'm not sure how far in the future this is, but I would I would say, first of all, that as we've already discussed on this call, capturing the data will not be a problem because there are sensors everywhere. Um, Big data is already and will continue to to expand, and I predict that the the, the big requirement in the medium to or short term and, and and moving forward is building the tools and the products and the solutions to leverage and take advantage of big data and provide the visibility not just of the analytics of what's happened in the past but predictive tools to determine what will happen in the future based based on both structured data of the data in business systems, but also unstructured data from social media, from IoT, from uh, sensors on assets scattered everywhere. So really providing the visibility to to analyze and predict will be a a big driving factor to leverage all of this information because otherwise it's just lots of data, but you can't do anything with it, which is even more frustrating than not having the data to start with.
1: Thank you very much, Richard. Appreciate that. I do have a bonus question. You can choose to answer it or not. I just am looking at our list of the ways everything is changing in terms of how businesses do business. We talked about digital transformation, resource scarcity, demand for individualized products, the sharing economy, pressure for customer centricity. Let's talk about the sharing economy. Uh, Quickly, insight from each of you. What industry will contribute to the sharing economy next? We already have hotels, rooms, uh, Airbnb that individuals own. No company owns them. We have everybody bringing their car to work, the driving, sharing economy, and, and sharing cars, renting them or Ubering them. So where do you think the next uh, disruption will come in terms of sharing economy? Kevin, Wormerdam, any quick thoughts on that real fast?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that uh, everybody loves a, a night out, and I think that there's a huge movement in the sort of foodies coming online. I think there's going to be sort of movement of, of sort of dine at home or someone comes to your house and make you dinner. I could see all kinds of businesses around uh, the the restaurant industry
1: coming online. Thank you. I didn't know anybody would actually answer that. That's brilliant. Rick Ember, quickly, real fast. What do you see? One one answer. Nothing from Rick. Richard Howells, anything from you?
4: Okay. I recently went on a business trip. I lost my suitcase. So if somebody can work out how to find suitcases when you go on business trips, I think <laughs> That would be great
1: for me. I think there are some talking suitcases with GPS built in now. We'll hook you up. I have a friend whose son just invented one. Thank you, Kevin Warmerdam. Thank you, Rick Ember. Thank you, Richard Howells. Rick, if you come up with a new version for Sharing Economy, send it to me, and I will add it to the Twitter stream. Thank you to Chris, our engineer. Thank you to Shane Ellis for putting this together. It's been such a pleasure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. God, somebody has to disrupt the seatbelt industry. They're so boring. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for. It could cook dinner. It could make a reservation. It could fix your car. It could play music. Go out and be a game changer today. I'll talk to you in one hour from now with a new episode live of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're going to talk about fraud and third-party risk. You don't want to miss this one. Bye-bye. <music>
0: Thanks again for tuning in to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.